from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast. It's the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. And we are joined here in the studio to talk about the issue of the week by the City of London Budget Chair, Elizabeth Pelosa, is here as our political insiders, Ryan Goss and Nathan Franzi. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Chris. Uh, let's start with the fact that the weather this week was a little bit weird. And I've read weather forecasts on the radio many times in the 20 years that I've been doing this. And I say words like sunny or cloudy or rainy. <laughs> but this week, I was saying the word smoky during the weather forecast. Uh, we had some wildfires that were causing problems in Ontario and in Quebec, and those problems wound up being exported to the United States, where New York City looked orange for a lot of the week. Uh, this has been politicized, of course, federally, provincially. Uh, Ryan, what's your reaction to where this has all been going the last little while here? Because, you know, this has been used to attack the progressive conservatives, it's been used to attack the liberals, the liberals are using it to attack Pierre Polyab. So what, what, what are your, what's your reaction to the, the smoky week that we had? Yeah, honestly, I think we just need to put the partisanship aside, right? And people who know me know I, I'm not really hyper-partisan. So for me, it's just this is a this is a big issue that we need to deal with. And it's only going to get worse as time goes on. Um, and I think that all governments have a role to play and all governments have a responsibility of not doing enough up until now. Provincial, federal, conservative, liberal, I, I don't care the, the partisan stripe. Um, we were actually talking, I was talking about this with friends last couple days and, and kind of you know what is the solution going forward so that you know maybe we don't have to rely on new zealand australia um firefighters coming in from europe and other countries and i won't say that's that's not unique to canada and wildfire seasons in other countries we send uh we send firefighters over as well but i think we need to kind of take a step back and really look at this and and survey what's next we have a really large country with a lot of uh, forests a lot of tree cover um and how are we going to uh fight this in the future and you know what uh, you know again is it something that maybe we look at with our military and trying to find a way to incorporate that into our, our military structure. Um, I don't have all the answers, but one thing I do know is that we can't just bury our head in the sand and say that the problem's going to go away because it's not. Um, but I'm not going to take a shot at pre... I know there's some people taking shots at Premier Ford. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I think that we just need to get to the table and figure it out. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, blame to go around, and let's just try to find solutions. I think fundamental. I think you make a lot of good points, Ryan. Um, fundamentally, we just have a very let's just again politics aside for a minute. It's really dry. It's been really dry. We don't. We need rain. Whether it's your front lawn, uh, you know, living in Old North or or Pond Mills, um, or these forest fires that are manifesting it's really dry we haven't had rain and this is an issue um i think that people that are trying to politicize this in the moment um really with any really sort of weather event uh or something associated with it it, it misses the plot or misses the point and it kind of loses credibility down the road i think that you know for example i was reading about how one of the again one of the places where these are happening is in Nova Scotia and one of the uh, reasonable um, points that has been made before this type of fire is that as a matter of fact on coastal areas of the world as uh, the climate you know um, as climate changes uh, the you're going to have less and less rain or you're going to have sorry more and more rain and fires are going to be less frequent on coastal areas so now when we have forest fires in a dry spell, we can't look at it and say, okay, well, now this is, you know, a product of, of climate change. And 
more importantly or more directly, this is a politicized issue that a premier or a prime minister or somebody uh, is to blame in that regard. I think that ultimately we have, it's, it's very dry and we have to be able to mitigate these things when they arise. They're going to arise. We're not going to be a country where we have no trees. Um, this is an outlier event. Um, and next year and ideally the next following many years we're not going to have this type of thing at this magnitude i think in the moment right now what we need to do is make sure that this is mitigated that this is uh we figure out how these started i think that's important we can walk and chew gum at the same time but these are going to get worse as it gets warmer and it will get warmer so how are we gonna you know we can have these political discussions as much as we want, but how are we going to fix this problem right now and prevent as much damage as possible? I think there is some change as far as how dry it is in northern Ontario and eastern Quebec. Yes. That is something that wouldn't... Now, again, you want to say it's a one-off, that's fine. But I think it's pretty... There are some climate experts that are drawing a linear situation from the temperature is warmer than it was to, hey, we're not getting as much rain in those areas. So regardless of how those fires started, they're lasting longer and becoming more powerful because it's been so dry. And, Absolutely. And, and, but and, uh, at the same time, yeah. those same climate experts are yeah. saying that on the coastal areas such as Nova Scotia, oh, yeah, it's, the gonna Atlantic be Rose, it's going to be different. But yeah. we are having fires there. So, I mean, you can't have, you know, can't have your cake and eat it too in well, this argument. It's going to be different from the perspective of there's going to be more hurricanes on the coastal areas and more dry inland, right? Right, like, but we have a right. right, but we're having forest fires on the coast. So right. I mean, again, it's it's the point being that right in this critical moment, it needs to be fixed and mitigated as much as possible. Now, I mean, we can sit here and point fingers. I mean, really, we were talking about it in the pandemic. Think about that. Early on, I mean, rightly so, we're trying to figure out where this started and who's to blame in this. But right now, we have to figure out how to fix it, or in March and in April of 2020, we had to figure out how to fix this. Now, again, um, that would be a little bit of a different story in a pandemic, but we have to, you know, do as much as we can to avoid as much damage today and, uh, you know, have these discussions moving forward, I think, in a deep way. The only part way. I think you're missing is, the, is, is fix it now, but I think we also have to look towards the future, right? I, I do believe that this is only going to get worse. I think we are going to, I'm not saying it's going to get progressively worse every single year. I think it's going to be cyclical, but Again, I think we need to have systems in place, whether that's in our institutions, like I said, like the military, um, having people trained that can, you know, fight fires from coast to coast to coast. We don't have to rely as heavily on other countries. I think we need to look at, we need to step back and look at this from a broader perspective on, on how we deal with this issue, because it, it, you're right, we got to get under control now, but I think we also have to look to the future and how we prepare for that. So when it does arise next time, we're not having the same conversation four years down the road. Elizabeth? Yeah. Um I'll say from a municipal perspective that we're lucky in London and we're insulated from most of these risks that mm -hmm. we have two great water sources coming into the city. We're insulated that way. Whereas when we meet at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities um, at AMO for Municipal in Ontario and having served on a national climate caucus and elected uh, at a national level um, for nonpartisanship, looking at the frequency and the severity of what we're seeing and who's getting what, realizing that some of coastline areas, if they start to flood, they're gonna be cut off from the mainland and now they're not gonna be a community that's connected. Um, my uncle has a potable water business serving the uh, tar sands, Fort McMurray. They were on fire, huge evacuation, and a lot of their economy hasn't come back yet either. Um, and we're just gonna keep seeing that in the communities from residents hearing concerns about backyard fires. Is it safe to have them? For the public that's controlled by the London Fire Department, they can put out a no fire, um, burn whenever yep. they want um then it's a question of like are fireworks safe what are we doing and some residents are saying you know are you gonna make me start wearing masks again 
that's that's up to residents yeah. um, realizing it's just not the smoke it's everything that's burning that's non-organic with that smoke of plastics too that those particulates are in the air also coming our way yeah it's it, it's obviously not what anybody wants and and you mentioned that you know politicizing it I, I think that what we saw at Queen's Park was some theater. There was some conversation about, hey, wait, didn't this government cut forest fire fighting, uh, forest firefighting budgets, which that is something that happened. I think that has to be acknowledged and, 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 and conversed about in these moments. But a lot of it's theater too. And I think for the most part, but does people, it, people so, tune it out though. What do you think? I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. does it have to be debated in the moment? I guess this, this is what bothers me about politics and, and heck, I'm in politics, but you know what? <laughs> like when we're, when, when we're, literally the country's burning from coast to coast to coast, do we really need to say, hey, Doug Ford, you cut, you, you cut this budget? No, that's not going to solve the problem now. No. Let's, you want to you take it to committee? You want to do, you know, you want to have a, a study on this later? Fine and dandy. Go right ahead. But right now, it's not going to help. And if we can tone down the partisanship, it would be helpful because that partisanship just bleeds over into the general public as well and the conversation is just becoming that much more toxic i've said this on your show a ton of times craig like we can't even agree to disagree anymore and have a civil dialogue as frequently as we used to be able to so as far as i'm concerned i want to fix the problem now i don't care who cut what if they were conservative if they were liberal if they were ndp i care about how do we get it under control now and make sure we don't have to deal with it at the same severity in the future to the best we can people do like to say i told you so yeah they do. yeah absolutely. fair <laughs> enough fair enough uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know, other than, other than maybe feeling be. good, yeah. what does it accomplish? Exactly, yeah. and that's, that's fair to say. Well, I think that, again, there's a bigger picture to the, really the point about the politicization for me is not civility. I think civility in politics, in politics is a little bit overrated personally. I, I'm okay with the, I'm okay with the, uh, with politicians throwing stones or having these conversations. But again, if you're going to open that door, we're going to be able to have that conversation. And at the end of it, we're going to say, okay, what use did we have? Yes, okay, there were budgets that were, uh, some budgets that were cut over the course of uh, um, Doug Ford's premiership. But uh, I think the PCs came out and accurately said since 2017, the PCs, if you're going to go down that road, have voted in favor of elevating the budget for forest fire prevention from between 30 and 40 percent since 2017. Now, of course, he was not premier in 2017, but they still voted in favor of those budgets. So bigger picture. Now, does that matter? What's the percentages? What does the percentage matter if we're going to have an issue? You know, you undermine the credibility of the argument if we're going to have, you know, if it's all going to be politicized based on percentages. We want to do what's necessary to keep people safe, keep air quality positive and, uh, you know, make everybody thrive and having, have a, a great, wonderful country. We can throw these stones for me. And I think probably for you, Ryan, you know, when I look at some, when, when you see some partisans, be they leaders of parties or others throwing stones, we also get to identify this is never going to hunt in an election time. This is you, you're swinging at a pitch. You didn't have to, this is not focused on the issues that actually matter to people and moving the needle. I think, you know, in Merritt Stiles, the new leader of the NDP, she's trying to find her footing. She's trying to, uh, you know, make sure she can, uh, I guess, have a little bit of um, a, a bit of direction and, and own some sort of narrative that, that she wants to do. That's fine. Go for it. But, you know, who in Ontario, other than people who already hate Doug Ford, are going to be throwing stones at him for fires that are happening in Alberta, British Columbia, and Nova Scotia. And well, it's a fair point. I don't really know if I'm going to go to the ballot box in a couple of years and say, you know what, Doug Ford cut the budget for forest fires, uh, for forest fighting, uh, yeah. for, for fighting yeah. forest fires, excuse me. He's lost my vote, right? Like to your point, this is it's a lot of just partisan bickering. And, you know, hey, I'm on the partisan side on certain things, but at the end of the day, yeah. you've heard me say this. I'm, I, I think that we really need to scale that back. Um, you know, maybe 
Nathan and I maybe necessarily agree on that, but I think that it's 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 everything that's wrong with politics is that it's become too hyper partisan. I'm okay with it being partisan. Let, let's just maybe tone it down a little bit because to to the point as well. If your house is burning, I don't. I, I really think that you care about how are you a you going to put these fires out. B how are you going to help me rebuild. Right. And see how are we going to make sure this doesn't happen again? Because I'm probably not going to be able to get insurance. So right. what are you going to do for those things? Deal with your 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 uh, finger pointing and your your policy debates and your budget cuts later. Let's talk about how you're going to help me now. Let's think about the people where literally their house is nothing but ash, right? And that's for me why I think we we really need to take a step back on the partisanship. And everyone's guilty of it from every partisan stripe. We've seen it over the last few weeks. Greg, you alluded to it yep. on social media. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. Uh, and I look at this and think to myself, most political issues that really drive people to the ballot box are things that everyone feels all the time. So when we have all these conversations about, hey, you know, is, is the Chinese election interference going to cause a problem? No, no. The affordability. The, the next election is going to be about affordability. That's going to be the only issue that I think really drives people. Do you think that environment changes or, or, or moves up the list when we sort of go through something where that everyone kind of experienced and, and no one could really avoid, which was, hey, it's real smoky outside? Yeah, I think every, it's something that everyone understands is yeah. affected by and notices. And I think either the environment was a key consideration for you and how you vote or not. And then as you look at the water spectrum of politics, I think that both governments that have been mentioned have agitated me a lot more over different issues than this issue. Like right. for me, the inclusivity of LGBT curriculum and sex curriculum, um, like sex ed and being able to opt out, like I find those more concerning of why you would opt your kids out of knowing what your parts of your body are and what consent is over who may be cut what bit of money when in a budget under whose leadership. Like that, like to me, it's just those key things of really what make our community safe every day for people to be out walking in basic understanding and respect of each other um, despite the air quality that you're currently breathing and while we're uh, while these fires have been burning across canada china has uh, approved 20 gigawatts of coal fired plant over the last uh, or the first quarter i guess so you know let's say it give or take so i mean if we're going to make this again a political issue about climate change or about mitigating these issues it's not just something you know fire started uh, in canada is uh, is going to change now i again i think we're all on the same page we want to find how these started doesn't appear well some of them were some of them have already been identified as, as lightning strikes others have been you know some backfiring of a four by four or a loose cigarette something like that but i mean still a majority of them have not been identified how they started and uh, that's going to be pretty important to figure out but you know bigger picture we can't uh, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time deal with and protecting our people from um, damage that's going to come from these fires um, without you know losing the point of the discussion and, and keeping people safe absolutely and to answer your question craig on you know d d does this uh, with you know elections coming in the future will this be an issue the climate change is always an issue right, right. so if an election was held tomorrow sure it'd be more topical but you know i don't see any federal election happening it's more than a year out in my, in my so? opinion Absol absolutely absolutely i i bet money on it uh, you know we're we're not this isn't happening in the fall this ha isn't happening in the summer so i think by that point in time this issue is climate change is still important um but i think the, the issue of the fires is probably in the rearview mirror um for many people when they're making that decision i agree with you it's gonna be on affordability it's gonna be on housing it's gonna be on issues that are affecting uh, people's everyday lives when they're trying to make ends meet so uh, I would I would think that it's it's climate change is always going to be topical for for a big part of the electorate and I'll be honest with you Nathan like 
I think that if the Conservatives had a, a more solid plan in the last couple of elections on climate change, they could potentially be in government right now. It was a, it was an Achilles heel for them. So I, I think it's always going to be um, important, especially for like a Conservative Party when they're trying to grow their base. But in specifically on the fires, I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be an issue come, you know, a year down the road. Yeah. Well, the election, if it were to happen, let's say next year in 2024, will be nine years from the first time the Liberals uh, were elected. So it's not going to be a difference in ideology or a difference in proposed approach that we're debating. It's going to be a matter of comparing a record versus a new approach that's there. I think that the communication from the Conservative Party um, could certainly be better on uh, on climate change. But again, if we're being forced to, you know, have the conversation simply surrounding carbon pricing or certain environmental, you know, protections that may or may not support. I mean, let's make this a big picture issue. Let's talk about the national security. Energy security in Canada is national security. Energy security everywhere is national security. This is why places like China are not afraid to uh, put on 100 gigawatts of uh, coal-fired plants per year because they need to make sure there's sufficient energy for their people. We, on the other hand, have simply not done that and not tried to displace those markets. So, I mean, in terms of climate change, we need to get our energy out into the world to the extent that there's any that is going to be consumed, to, to the extent that any drop of energy is going to be consumed or any drop of oil is going to be consumed on the world stage, I want as many drops of those as possible to be Canadian so as to displace these um, either unethical or dirty um, alternatives. And again, if you communicate that, that's a little bit more practical, especially and perhaps a little bit more palatable nine years later in the federal, uh, in the federal scene in Canada than perhaps it was um, in previous elections. And I hope that we're able to communicate that to people because I think that makes sense and people understand it. Uh, I want to talk about one thing real quick on this before we move on to housing, which Ryan mentioned a second ago, which is fireworks. And there is a conversation coming up at City Hall next week in which uh, we may decide to ban fireworks. It's at least something staff has put have, have put into the report. Uh, Elizabeth, have you had a chance to dig much into that particular report yet? I'm sure that you've received many calls about fireworks in the five years that you've been on council, probably at least one or two. Yeah, uh, so grateful for the residents um, who already submitted um their feedback through the city's portal as it has been an ongoing conversation a really big divide in the community of those who use a lens of you know it creates waste people do it and they don't clean up the casings from the fireworks mm -hmm. it scares wildlife it scares pets people don't adhere to the bylaw and they set them off whenever people work shift work it's annoying if we have people who come from Newcomers or people who immigrated here from war-torn countries, it could be triggering in PTSD um, or, you know, what's wrong with celebrating Victoria Day, Canada Day, um, where others are saying there's other cultures as well that we can maybe celebrate. Um, so definitely interested in this report and hearing what the community has to say. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily the no-fun counselor, but um, <laughs> some other, I was raised, made aware that there has been another municipality and they canceled all private fireworks at your homes, but the municipality itself took on the cost of when it's holy celebrations, Canada Day, other religious celebrations, right. the city itself picks up the bill and will set off fireworks where those communities can come out together and celebrate. And then people, you well, know, there's like a lot I, to I be said for that. I think there's a lot, yeah. you know, this can be a budget impact item, which um, I'm waiting to see how this other municipality is doing it, but yeah. you know, when it's holy other celebrations, you know, residents will write out, you know, who the F is setting off fireworks? What the hell are these people? Like, they're this all way. this in a park. And I'm like, okay, we're a little bit racist. Uh, <laughs> an opportunity to teach of, hey, this group is celebrating 
this inclusivity (laughs) in their community. All are welcome. And they're like, oh. Uh, So it's just like there is more than Canada Day, Labor Day, Victoria Day. Um, And how can we do things better? And I know definitely part of the issue is by law enforcement. We brought more in-house. But when residents say somewhere, someone's setting something off, I'm like, that's not an exact address. I don't know how to staff. Can yeah, it it, to it's, it? it's impossible to enforce this. I really believe that because if someone has fireworks and they set them off in their backyard, by the time you've made the call and we determine where this is coming from, fireworks are done. It's a big city. Yeah, like, exactly. It, they'll get there in an hour and it's long since done. Yeah. Um, especially when it's in a park, then it's city staff going out and cleaning up the casings because now it's garbage yeah. from the Clean fireworks. up after yourselves, by the way. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's bad enough that you fill the city. Garbage cans are overflowing with the boxes you bought, but now the casings are spread throughout the kids' playgrounds and everything in the ball diamonds. Um, but it, there are some days that you are legally allowed to. I know Bob's Fireworks, uh, I met with them. They said they hand out the sheet itself to residents saying, this is the city's bylaw of when you can enjoy the product that you bought. If people adhere to it, that's a different issue. Yeah. What do you guys think? Fireworks ban, fireworks enforcing the rules more. I don't even know how you do either of those, to be honest. But that's I, I think that, first and foremost, I am very pro-firework um, <laughs> just in general. I think people should be able to celebrate uh, however they'd like to uh, in that respect when they'd like to. I understand we have rules of what days um, that are there. But uh, Elizabeth brought up a point about... Um, you know, other communities. Holy celebrations include fireworks. Holy is a great one. As a matter of fact, with, um, and I'm sure everybody here has encountered um, people in the community that have tried to, I've been approached directly by some people I've met during campaign periods and otherwise in the community that say, hey, you know, there's some demand within our community to do this. We want to do it the right way. We want to help facilitate the celebration so that it's a little bit more organized. And, um, you know, can you help us at City Hall and make that happen? And I'm like very eager uh, to do so because that's, you know, a beautiful thing now again i don't i admitted my ideology at the beginning would just be to kind of let it happen and i think that it would organically be proper i think that the um correct me if i'm wrong but the practical approach to this it seems to me from the people that are arguing against is that well if we disallow people from you know opening up a trailer or a truck Mm -hmm. in a parking lot or you know these kind of pop-up you know food truck style uh fireworks uh, distributors, um, then there'll be less impulse buys. There will be less opportunity to purchase. Now, yeah. I think we all agree that there's not a big, you know, 50 foot wall around the city of London here, and you can go down to St. Thomas or uh, Dorchester. You or can open up else. a big fireworks trailer in Arva if you right. want, where you could drive a golf ball into right. the city of London. And as far as I know, Middlesex County is not going to stop you from doing it. Yeah, and then the people that complain. I mean, similarly at City Hall. If I'm not mistaken, there was budget actually allocated to putting this on billboards, and it said, "Hey, do you have feedback or feedback about the uh, you know fireworks uh, rules and bylaws in the city of London?" There's ads on buses. There's yeah, ads on buses. <laughs> saying just that. There's ads on buses. All right. So how are we going to be? Of course, it's going to self-select the people that have a problem with it are going to email. I didn't send an email, and I'm the most pro-firework guy I know. So that's yeah, okay. If, if you're like, "Oh, I'm fine with the way things are," then you're probably not going to be super motivated to go to the city's website and type in, "This is fine." Right. Like, Elizabeth, I think you know that the winning issue, or, you know, to the extent that that matters to counselors, the winning issue is to come out on the side of being pro-firework, be it with new Canadians or otherwise. I agree with Nathan 150%. I don't say that very often. So, uh, <laughs> um, but I, wow. Can you clip that, Greg? Can you, can you record it. that and clip it? But I agree with them 150%. I was asked this question uh, on another show a couple of weeks back, and I said, you know what? 
so one I've lived much like Nathan. I've lived here my entire life, born and raised here. Sometimes I feel is that London is the place where fun goes to die. Um, and I find as though we try to sometimes make problems and put policies in place where they're not needed. Um, I have a neighbor who literally lights off fireworks almost every other weekend. I have two young kids. <laughs> it wakes them up. You know what? Yeah, Call it me, can bro. be a bit annoying, right. but I I just don't I don't mind. Like I I don't know. Like to your point, like I want people to have fun. I understand the the concerns Elizabeth have been brought up. I'm not dismissing them. I just I find that I just I don't know. I think that there's things we need to regulate, and then there's things that we don't. And I I really don't think we need to regulate this. I really think we just I just don't I think even... there's much bigger problems for the city to address, including are in the fact that our downtown and old east village is literally on fire we have massive uh, homelessness and addiction and mental health issues that we need to get our, our our hands around and help these people in our community i just think it, it's it's distracting us from other more important issues and like i said mark this day down i agree with everything that nathan said on and i will say as already been said people can walk and chew gum at the same right. time so i know people don't always trust their city council of being able to walk and chew gum at the same time but we can take on more than one issue and i will say that if you have um Sensory issues, autism spectrum, like my kids do have some diagnoses. Mm -hmm. Like they find it very hard, especially when it's unregulated of like, when's it gonna happen again? Yeah. Can I sleep tomorrow night? What is happening? Mom, can you do anything? I'm like, city councilor, powerless, horrible feeling with your children when they're raising concerns. It, it, I, I, and I hear you, but sorry, Craig, I just wonder one point is that to your point, it's, but it's really not enforceable because That's here's the thing, like yeah. even if you do put it in place, you know, your your neighbor Gary can just go to that that Again, trailer Gary, and, and light off those fireworks. So again, I really I get exactly what you're saying, but I really don't think it's enforceable. And I I don't know what city staff are going to do. Literally, the evidence can be burnt up, like or yeah. they're going to pick up little caps and put in the garbage. And and, and, I, and I don't the, think we're going to get here's anywhere. here's where I'm at it. In a perfect world, I would love there to be a series of rules where you can set off fireworks on Canada Day and Victoria Day, and we can pick a couple other days on the calendar for holy and other and other religious New celebrations. Yeah. New yeah, 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 but like we can pick a couple other days. So you limit it to you know five, six days a year, whatever it happens to be. Five or six days out of 365. In a perfect world, that's what would happen, and people would be prepared for that. They would know what nights it was going to be, and those would be the only nights it would happen and only happen during certain hours in a perfect world. However... Unless you want to increase the enforcement budget a hundredfold, I just don't know if we're ever going to get to that world, even if that's the, what you want more than anything. If you want, even if you wanted to say, hey, fireworks are banned from uh, personal use in the city of London, if you want to say that tomorrow, it's just it's, it's not possible to make it happen. It's, unless Canada bans fireworks, it's just not going to be the way this goes. I just, I, so like, it's, it's, I just think that it's, it's, I understand why people may want it. I just don't think you can have it no matter what we try to do. Well, well I even had, I'll just say, having talked to a fireworks provider as an, that was an independent business of, you know, some people say like, you know, just some of the ones in the kits yeah. are louder or worse. Can you ban just those ones in the yeah. city? And speaking into the fireworks providers, like, well, those ones come in a kit. So then I'd have to disassemble every kit and then and, put it yeah. yeah so they said actually that's not like that's is the way they're sold so it's just even understanding the industry of like okay is this an option it's like can you give out information telling residents how to be a good gary yeah. and they were like <laughs> yeah. we do that and yeah. i'm like okay giant tiger and other retailers walmart like 
do they serve out information? Like, so maybe happened? there's the answer, Elizabeth. Maybe you look at, okay, instead of the city banning them, instead of putting in more bylaws, maybe it's just education. Hey, have you thought about this, Gary, before you yeah. light off that firework? <laughs> that maybe there is some people, maybe you want to give your neighbors a heads up. Like when I was drilling my, replacing my porch yeah. last week, when they're jackhammering it, I'm like, hey, FYI, you're probably going to get woken up at 8 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. So I don't know. Maybe it's just that education piece. Can you piece do a street about, party, can, Gary? Give yeah, us a exactly. Can, you, a nice can you think about others? Because I think maybe yeah. that would be more successful. Yeah, call me, Gary. You sound like a fun guy. Um, <laughs> I think there was a really smart person who once told me that, you know, it's not just politicians that have a legacy. It's also staff and bureaucrats that are trying to leave a legacy as well. This has been an issue. It's been on top of people's minds or it's been on people's minds, especially around Labor Day or New Year's or, or uh, Canada Day um, at various times. And we, I don't think it really has been discussed or there hasn't been a presentation to council in at least a number of years discussing this. So staff gets to make a recommendation. Now that's kicked to council. And this isn't the first time you've been through this, uh, councillor. So now it will be, hey, stand up and be counted. Who's for it? Who's against it? And then at the very least moving forward, there will everybody will be able to say, oh, well, the rules didn't change and it's because of these people that voted to keep them that way. So if you want to direct your angry emails to them, go for it, that's fine. And I think that there's likely, uh, I think there's likely a number of counselors that are going to be okay taking those emails just yeah, as they have yeah. been in the past. D d who wants to, and, and this is the, I, I understand there's going to be a vocal constituency that doesn't want fireworks anymore. Do you really want to be the counselor that banned fireworks? No. Oh, I know a guy. Uh, yeah. I know a guy that might. <laughs> How many people? Are there eight people that want to be the counselor that no, banned fireworks? No. I can't, I can't yeah. see it. And that's, okay, great. So yeah. we decide to ban them. Didn't enforce it. So good friggin' job, city council. Yeah, you exactly. got nothing to back you Exactly. You're right back too. to square one, right? Because, I'm still hated. Because yeah. people are going to call you and say, well, Elizabeth, there were still uh, fireworks lit off on my street. And you're going to say, yeah, those were bought in St. Thomas. I don't know what I can do about that. Well, actually, and they're going to say, you're yeah. my counselor. You need to fix this now. And you're yeah. going to say, I can't. I wasn't Build the wall. Make St. Thomas pay for it. <laughs> well, I think you make a great point, actually, uh, uh, counselor, because these are one of those votes, I think, that we would agree likely destined to fail and in that vein the people that vote for it but it fails are able to then say well i voted for it it would have changed and here's the utopia it would have looked like had my vision been enacted and i think there's that's there's a number of counselors that fall uh, on that spectrum um, over the course of whatever votes they're taking and on this one i think there's at least a few of them or or, or a couple anyway so um, we'll have to see, but I, I don't think there's going to be any changes. And, uh, you know, when I am, uh, when, when Ryan and I are in charge, we're just going to, you know, 365 it. I'll be at your house in the weekend with plenty of some fireworks. <laughs> yeah, so. Gary, call us. Gary. But call in us. line with the bylaw. In line with the bylaw. Right. Yeah. 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 No, no one's breaking the rules yeah. here. Uh, let's talk about one more issue before we wrap up. And I want to talk about rent and housing prices. We've got some data from Stats Canada this week. We got some data from Mike Moffat this week that I, uh, that I sent you all uh, uh, Series graphs that Mike sent out saying, hey, rent is, you know, significantly more expensive in London now than it was four years ago. We're talking about huge increases. And the average price of a home in uh, London St. Thomas region, according to the folks over at Elstar, is up around 730 something thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, too. So it costs a lot to rent. It costs a lot to buy. That's not sustainable. So how, how do we navigate this? Because no matter how much you love building housing and no matter how much we want to build affordable housing, we're in this spot for a while here because you can't just magically create housing. So we're in this for a while. How do we navigate it? Well, I think it's useful to, again, especially being... Uh, somebody who's been in London, and this would not be just a London issue, but we're talking about how it has grown, the prices have grown in London. 
Um, for a number of years, there's been seemingly a, com a competing couple of narratives when it comes to development, housing, population growth, and job growth, um, at least for the last decade and likely beyond. There were a group that has been there for a decade or so, and even predating it, that had believed, and I would put Mike Moffat in this category to be clear, that the biggest exposure to the London plan and what we were going to have in London was a lack of population. That in other words, if we're gonna support bus rapid transit, if we're gonna support these issues, we may not get the population that is predicted in these plans. And therefore we need to do what is necessary to create jobs to attract these people here. On the contrary, there were a group of us, I would say, um, through various mayoral and council campaigns that have argued the population growth is going to rise based on immigration patterns from both within Canada, within Ontario, and beyond. The, the population will be there. And instead, what we need to focus on is housing these people and being pro-development and responsible while interest rates are so low. And they have been low and had been low for the last, call it 15 years, post uh, recession. Yeah, the 0809 crash. Right. Yes. So we didn't do that. We didn't activate a pro-development, pro-home building initiative at the time. There has been development. I'm not going to go and say there's been zero, but there have been plenty of examples. I'll use a great example that I love to use is at 183 King Street. They want, I think it was one of the developers wanted to build at least 200 units, but it was, there was a heritage designation. And nine or 10 years ago, council was essentially unanimous in saying, uh, well, almost unanimous in saying no to that. I don't agree that now that would be the same case if that proposal were, would be to come forward. However, what we now have is it's going to be a lot more expensive to build these things. And by design, the government was saying we're going to crush interest rates down to zero and people are looking to make money. So it forced a lot of people into the housing space. And while we didn't experience price inflation, which is what we're experiencing now, we experienced asset inflation across the board. This is not something that just happened during the pandemic. We've been talking about growing housing prices for a, a large number of years in London. So it didn't happen. We are in this position. This is not about, I told you so. This is about what we need to do is start building supply, saying yes when this is necessary. I understand that there's conversations happening about converting some um, unused or underutilized commercial spaces mm -hmm. uh, to residential. We get that. But this is a question about lack of supply and a question about increased demand and what we can do in having an honest conversation finally, finally, to say what are the consequences of our uh, immigration patterns to the country and in places like London where uh, real estate has been cheap otherwise. I could I, go on all day about this, but no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's in the water today, but like I agree with what Nathan said again. So I, and I've been very vocal about this on your show and uh, your podcast before, Craig. I, I find that London either we're in a housing crisis or we're not in a housing crisis. We have to take the the restraints off. We have to uh, uh, work with uh, our developers, our home builders, everyone in the sector to find a way to speed up. Uh, and get more supply. London is notoriously difficult. You're making progress, counselor. I'm looking uh, but, away, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> notoriously difficult uh, for developers. I'll say we're for, in a better for, spot now than we were correct. with previous councils. But, yeah, but no, I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. We're getting better, but that's going to take a while to make up for several years in the past, Craig, and, and councils before, because if you talk to developers, if you talk to home builders, you talk to people in the sector, you see how hard it's been to to increase supply at a rapid level, a level that's going to make a difference like Nathan talked about. Um, and 
they they're they're getting frustrated. So they went they started to invest and they started to service parcels of land in other communities that surround uh, London, Ontario. And I really think that, uh, like I said, I think this council is doing a good job. I think you guys are making good deci- uh, good decisions to try to help improve that. But everyone expects it to be fixed overnight. It's not going to. It's going to take time. But Nathan, I agree with you 100%. We need, we need to have radical conversations. We need to think outside the box. We need to look at, and I know that everyone was screaming at Doug Ford with a certain piece of legislation he put through. And I didn't agree with everything that was put in there, but I did agree with certain things to get housing built faster. We are at a crisis point. And if my kids, so my oldest is five and my youngest is 19 months. If my kids are ever going to be able to afford a house, we need to do something now. Otherwise forget about it. It's going to become Toronto and it's, yeah. It's going to be a pipe dream to own your own property without without significant help from your parents. Uh, we, I like I said, I think we're in a better position now than we were with previous councils mm-hmm. as far as stuff getting approved. And last time you were here, we talked about getting you know however many units that was approved at at South Day Wellington. Yeah, That's good. Project. My yeah. concern, hard on. yes, my concern is not so much what it is more what council was doing previously, as, as Nathan was saying, because we're behind and. Even if we run as fast as a municipality can possibly run, we're going to be behind for a long time. For a long time. That's oh, what I'm worried absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad that you recognize council's better now that with me on it. <laughs> um, and I know I don't serve on the planning environment committee, but especially when things come to my ward or community concerns and especially housing, um, I had experienced uh homelessness when I was a, a child. So come with a different lens of affordability and moving from community to community um, with your family, trying to fly, find stable employment, let alone a place to live and settling down. Um, I think it's going back absolutely to part of immigration. We were set up for failure years ago with not taking so many in and not keeping up with the housing pace that was coming. Uh, Mike Moffitt does great data, um, great, easily to read uh, tables, graphs, spreadsheets, uh, a gift for that of telling you about the doom that you're in. I love it. Always a great way to start my morning on Twitter. Um, part of it, I'll say a political party or several will you know, tell seniors, you have the right to age in place. For me, I would love to say, are you lonely? Can you actually keep up with your house and your care? Right. I have families desperately wanting to love the home that you've made so many memories into. Do we have nice, adequate, there is long wait lists of long-term care homes, senior apartments, for these people to actually want to move into to enjoy that was one years. of the big misses with previous projections for housing that various levels of government done provincial federal municipal was oh yeah in in 2023 this percentage of baby boomers will have moved out of their homes and they missed on that by oh, a yeah. huge number can i can i just, sort of just jump on one thing that elizabeth said to build off of and she talked about this council and craig we mentioned as well there's been progress made and i, I want i think it's very important that the planning committee of this council has done a lot of great work you know yep. steve layman the people that are on that committee, uh, um, Sean Lewis, they've done good work. They they have they have, and you know what? For a lot of them, there's been pretty much a consensus right across the board on a lot of the proposals coming through. Very few dissents. There's been some, but it's they've got things done. There haven't been log jams, and for the and, and it's gone through council smoothly. So I think a lot of credit is there. I know I've spoken to Councillor Layman about about development. I've spoken about the downtown. Uh, you know, he really cares about. There's people on council who I think truly care about this issue and that's the difference now because i think before there was i won't say they didn't care but there was was a lack of recognition of it yeah and there was this this there was this utopian no there's a problem exactly and there was a utopia (laughs) there was a utopian vision and and i think that now what counselors are realizing is like 
this might be messy. We have to find a way to to look at things differently and to try to move the ball forward. To your point, Craig, and as I I, I want to reiterate again, this isn't something that's going to be fixed tomorrow, and and it's going to take time. And you're right, if they run, you know, a hundred miles an hour, it's still going to take time. But as Nathan said, like it's like a reckoning now, and we need to have that conversation, and we need to make sure we keep that momentum going and don't take our eye off the prize because we can get London back to reasonable numbers, but it's not going to. It's going to be a lot of hard work and uncomfortable conversations. Very uncomfortable conversations, and looking to our playing department as there's staff shortages, poaching from other municipalities, uh, you know, happening behind the scenes too, of looking at the process, listening to developers of what's the intake process. Do you have to keep calling to ask a staff person, where am I at? Or can you do that virtually and track it? Um, if a developer has row housing, which we're gonna probably see more of um, with more homes built faster act of anything less than 10, of if your plan is approved, is there a way to fast track that cookie cutter through PEC, like the Planning Environment Committee, realizing there's still going to be site plan for slope allowances and building, but those units themselves have met all our engineering staff's criteria, so the built's good. It's just looking at the form and where you put it and just spreading them across the city. Like, the city's big enough. Like, I don't want a whole neighborhood of cookie-cutter houses, but do some smaller parcels around the city, like, and just fast-track those builds. I think, uh, I'll just bring it back to an earlier comment we were talking about with civility and politics and understanding um, where we're at. I think one thing to at least consider that I would propose is that uh, if, if I have this stat, I think it's, it's loosely correct, it's directionally correct. And I think 30 to 40 years ago, uh, people the under, age of, uh, under the age of 30 owned about 21% of the wealth, of wealth that there was, per, people under the age of 30 owned it. Now that number is about 3%. So we want to talk about civility in politics. We want to talk about, um, you know, new generations and where they're going to go. Young people don't own anything and they're not going to own anything. They own with debt. Asset, yeah, yeah with, exactly. Fair enough. They get, they, they, assets have gone way too out of control for them to purchase them. Now you have price inflation. The price of things that people that, do, things that, people that don't have them is going up. And the value of things that people already own is going up. So this is what we're talking about with the divide between the rich and the poor, between the older and the younger. And you know, you see it all over the place with people that are getting into the market to the extent that people under a certain age are getting in. It is with you know some generational wealth or parental support. And I think that this is what we're talking about when we're looking at you know people losing hope, especially younger ages. We're talking about mental health crisis. We're talking about drug use and abuse. We're talking about you know, people that do not look forward into their future and have hope and it's not as clear as it may have been. And this is where, you know, to politicize it for a fraction of a moment, just in terms of understanding it, Canada is the only G7 nation where people under the age of 35 are more conservative than people over the age of 55. This is the only G7 nation where that is the case. And I would argue that to the extent that, you know, there's a lot of stones that are thrown at the federal conservative uh, leadership and the party itself is because they are focused not on the issues of the moment, which is, you know, hey, so-and-so cut this budget by X number of percent. It's we need to make uh, access to wealth and access to capital and access to a brighter future more accessible. And even if, you know, being generous to some criticisms, even if they are not factually accurate every moment, they are directionally accurate. And that is exactly what we're talking about when we're trying to get people off the sidelines and engaged.
you know so so i think that this is really a big issue it's not always going to be one but it is going to the, the consequences of this issue of this issue are going to be with us for decades no matter what the solution is and and i think it's an all of so we get into partisan debate but i'm going to take my own advice and i'm not going to engage in that partisan debate what i'm going to say is that um is that i you know i think we're going to see a lot of we we have all levels of government municipal provincial and federal realizing that we we need to do something and we need to do something in a hurry and i think that we're seeing i just had a meeting last weekend um uh my boss mp fragascados mp kayabaga um ahmed hussein the minister of housing and mayor morgan um and we're specifically talking about this issue in london including how the housing accelerator fund which is going to be revolutionary is going to help the city of london speed things up to your point um councillor about digital permit approvals, various things to bring London really into the 21st century and help staff. We're literally going to pay for those staff to be in there to clear backlogs. And it is literally the definition of of coming in and I hate to use the word red tape, but cutting red Mm. tape, getting getting the, you know, the old can't do attitude out of the way and getting a can do, we will do attitude in the way. And again, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying there can't be standards. I'm not saying that you don't have to meet the, you know, you don't have to meet environmental requirements. You don't have to meet, you know, your, your, your site plans and all that sort of stuff. I'm saying let's just, instead of a building taking six years to approve, let's cut that down considerably. Let's get it down to a year. Let's get down to if it has to be because of some sort of environmental or wind testing or something it has to be two years, fine. But we need to do a lot better and now the province and the federal government are giving so province more so regularly less so money uh from a a regulatory perspective the federal government with literal money uh, into the city coffers are giving the city all the tools they need to speed things up we're seeing some municipalities doing better than others but i'm cautiously optimistic with hearing the voices around the horseshoe what they're saying that they're going to try to really embrace that and make the changes needed I'm optimistic as well. Uh, one more, one just more thought, to, then we'll wrap up. Thank you. I just want to add to that. I think you make great points. I want to add to that the concept of private capital, which is very important as well. Because I think uh, all of us know, whether you're talking about big developers, especially in London, and many of them have made London home. You're talking about you know people like Old Oak, Drulo, Drulo. Um, yeah, you know, Southside. Uh, Southside. Yeah. These are big companies who have owned who've been a part of this you know wealth gain because they've owned a lot of assets over the last uh, period of time and they have a lot of money some of the billions of dollars that they're able to invest and it really is more so a question of where and when um you know than anything else so i think it's important for as much as we can talk about federal or federal and provincial really government uh, initiatives in this respect, it is also clearing the way to allow and empower these developers to get their private capital off the sidelines to build these units so that you and I don't pay for it in our tax bill. You're, you can you're, do you're right about that. We, we need to bring them in too. And I will say that all of those companies that you mentioned, they're ready to go. Right. I've heard it out of their exactly. mouths themselves. Oh, for like, years. They're ready to go. So you're right. They, they need to be at the table without question. Yeah. So. They've been advocating very well, I'd say, at the table with the members on pack and those uh, who aren't uh, and realizing that especially the returning counselors, you know, we met behind the scenes saying like, okay, we're not turning a blind eye to these issues. How can we help accelerate it? And with the developers mentioned, like when residents get mad of, you know, you're betting to developers, I'm like, these, some of them are different. Mm -hmm. They are Londoners. They are here. They are our neighbors and they work here. They shop here. Their kids go to school here. Like they see the problems and they want to be at the table also finding a solution and Craig, 10 want- seconds sorry yes. on that sorry i'm really sorry but that's such okay. an important point elizabeth and i think a big problem that we need to address in london is is that developers home builders it's not an evil word 
And for so many years in this community, it has been. It's been like, if you support the developers, you're the enemy. No, we support progress and, they, and we need to have the home builders, London home builders at the table. We need to have different developers that Nathan mentioned at the table. We need to have everyone at the table. Again, I come back to the point I said earlier in the show, if it's a crisis, let's treat it like a crisis. Let's get everyone yeah. there. And that means that everyone is gonna to have to make compromise, compromises. They're gonna get some things you like and some things you don't, but we gotta get rid of this this attitude of, of uh, developers and home builders and, and people making money is evil. And we really have to get the nimbyism out the back door because it, it's just, it, it's time folks. We need to move on. If you want to be in a city where developers don't make any money, you're going to be in a city with a whole lot of people who are homeless. Yeah. Right. That's Bingo. just, that's the way things are. There's that, that, th those that there's just, there's nothing beyond that. That sentence is just accurate. There's no ifs or buts behind it. We'll wrap up here. Thank you very much to Nathan and Ryan and Elizabeth for doing the show with us this week. Thank you very much to all of you for listening. If you are listening on your weekend, I hope you have a fantastic one. We'll talk to you next week here on the Craig Needles Podcast. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 